Guy Bonehead Podcast. Thank you for taking some of your time. Uh, my name is Michael Gray. His name is Scott Hershey. Excited this week to welcome in not one or two or three, but four-time national champion Tyler Emmert, quarterback for the Carroll College Fight Saints. Second member of that team that we've had on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but the guy that was pulling all the triggers, um, you know, Casey Fitzsimmons. Yeah, this guy was doing all the real work. Um, <laughs> I How many that quarterbacks won four championships in a row of any kind? No, uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's a record that in the NAIA still stands to this day. Um, my man got that work done and admittedly says that he uh, he beat teams that were bigger, stronger, faster. So we'll have to talk to him about how, how you do that. That was an amazing Montana story when the, in those years when it was happening, and it's uh, fascinating to talk to the guy who, was, as you said, he was the he was the guy pulling the trigger back there in the offense for the Carroll College Fighting Saints when they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated at one time. Yeah, they were getting after it, and now he's uh, he's remained active in youth sports with all of his kids and has some things to say about all of that. But before we can get there, we have to talk about the ever-present spring-slash-summer subject in Montana that is bears. Bears in places where... There weren't bears before. And here's the, the, the short of it. If you're outside Montana right now, you need to know this. If you have any travel plans to Montana, it's all bear country. There's no parts <laughs> of Montana anymore that are specific to bears. And if you are in Montana and you're planning spring and summer activities, you need to know that it's all bear territory, and the bears are everywhere. And it's also a Montana thing where we're not even talking about black bears because those we don't even call bears anymore. Because <laughs> we're talking about, oh, there's bears everywhere. Well, there were black bears everywhere. Yeah, It's the grizzly bears that we're talking about, of course. Uh, last year, they found the first grizzly bear, and it's not the first grizzly bear. It's just the first one they caught on camera. Right. It's snowy mountains, and this year, they're a little closer to where we are sitting, right down the road in the Elkhorns. Yeah, they've got them in the Elkhorn Mountains now. They're showing up on cameras now. You've seen photos, and it's one of those things that, uh, again, if you're if you're not from Montana, you may not know that FWP has to co- – they have a process of con- confirming photos and locations and times and other things, and they have confirmed this photo. They're everywhere, man. Uh, mm-hmm. The Bear Corridor, I looked at the FWP website – um uh, for their for their grizzly bear tracker and the funny thing is they've got these corridors that they think are the the best known most highly trafficked routes uh to get bears essentially it's a bear highway that goes from yellowstone national park to glacier national park and then branches out in both east and west directions from there and if you know anything about geography Glacier National Park is at the top of Montana, <laughs> and Yellowstone National Park is at the bottom of Montana, which means that the Bear Corridor is Montana. <laughs> That's- yeah, and bears don't care if there's trees now. They just go out in the middle of the sage nope. and out in the prairies. And so, yeah, they're, it's interesting because what happens in a lot of these places, like the Snowies and the Elkhorns, I'm sure, uh, is that people who live there know there's been bears around, for gri- sure. grizzly bears. But as you said, they need a confirmation from FWP. So finally somebody gets one on a trail cam or they find tracks that they can confirm. And then eventually what happens, they do a, a hair sample. They'll put out wires and stuff to catch hairs. And then they do a DNA and they're like, yes, there's a grizzly bear in your neighborhood. But the ranchers who live there already knew that a while ago. Oh, plenty of people do. And and as is the case, it happened again this week with the bear in the Elkhorns. You see a lot of people on various social media outlets commenting, well, isn't that where the bear is supposed to be? And then you check that person's <laughs> profile, and they're from Kissimmee, Florida. Right. And you realize, like, oh, you don't understand anything about this ecosystem. Um, and, yeah. and the success story that is the greater Yellowstone 
grizzly bear population because now it's it's not the greater yellowstone grizzly bear population it's the grizzly bear everywhere population yeah you know you know how i blame for this is is i blame the wolves and the reason i blame the wolves is because before we had wolves the grizzly bears seemed to be pretty much located in these places yellowstone <laughs> and then the wolves went all over and the bears were like Wait, what? We can leave, and now here they go, and they're out exploring the neighborhood. And uh, and that means uh, your neighborhood, if you're listening in Montana or thinking about visiting Montana, or have to drive through it to get from wherever you are to wherever you're going, uh, just know that the grizzly bears. They're everywhere. They're places they haven't been before. They're places they have been before. They're in greater densities. We already tragically uh, lost someone earlier in the spring who was out shed hunting. Yep. Uh, down there, uh, south of uh, south of Helena, between here and Bozeman, and they're they're out. Yeah, and they're everywhere. To, used to be that you had to uh, take your bear spray and take your precautions, hang your food and all that in certain areas of the state. And now you have to do it everywhere now you have to do it everywhere do yourself a favor if you are traveling here uh get yourself a bear proof cooler yeah uh you're gonna you're gonna want that because they want whatever's inside they don't care they're not terribly picky eaters they can't have my beer (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be really foamy though if they (laughs) give that cooler a ride (laughs) no beer for bears and that's kind of a camp policy all right with all that said man it is time to welcome our guest tyler emmert sir how are you i'm doing good Man, uh, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me down. Um, this is, uh, football season never ends for me. I'm a nut for it. Um, but as a guy who played a ton and and obviously followed the game and coaching and everything else, uh, do, you, do you get away from it ever? I, well, kind of now. Uh, I coached for a while. Right. Um, the coaches, it, it really never ends for the coaches. Never. Uh, players, actually, you get some breaks. Um, and I got John. He's 10, you know, so he's doing the whole small fry thing now, so... Hopefully get back into it a little more in the fall, but it's one of the last youth sports that you don't have to do all year. It's not broken like the other ones. It's not crazy right. yet. So you can still play it and have fun. Uh, so when, when he gets there, we'll, I'll get back into coaching his you know, local team. And you've got, uh, what, three kids to follow? Four. 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 Three Gs and a B. That's too many. <laughs> That's two yeah. is the limit. When you're following sports, <laughs> it's four. You don't have enough oh, parents my goodness. Yeah. to follow four kids in sports. No, Coach Van Deest at a uh, at a banquet one time said that Amy was Catholic and I was careless. And that was my issue. <laughs> <laughs> my mother-in-law did not think that was funny. <laughs> Amy and I laughed. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> what, are the, what are the ages on the kids? Uh, I can do grades. <laughs> Let's see. I got a sophomore, a seventh grader, and two fourth graders. Okay. That's man. That yeah. No, that's too many. It's you're running the gamut of everything from little kids stuff all the way up to because I've got eleven and fourteen, and so the boy's still a kid. The girl thinks she's CEO of the household at this point as she's turning fourteen, and you've got like <laughs> I, I watch people. I, I, three is the magic number. Anytime you have if you have three kids, you might just as well have fifteen because one of them's always unsupervised. You can't keep your eye on them all the time. <laughs> without yeah, without broken we are these days. Uh, kids are kids are a lot of work. I mean, it seems like there was previous generations where you could have more kids, right? Right. Well, you had but- to because some of them died, and you had a farm, <laughs> and a bear would run off with one of them. So you had to have like fifteen to get down to like six. Three of them were working the fields. <laughs> exactly. You had to do that with yeah. them. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I still got all four. But now you've got good insurance. They're all perfectly healthy. They never leave. Yeah, no. The housing crisis is making it so they can't buy a place or rent an apartment, so yeah. they got to live at your house forever. I know I know about the oldest one, uh, point guard on the, on the uh, basketball team for Capital and uh, center fielder and pitcher for the softball team and uh, the other ones, athletes like that, I'm sure. Well, I get I, I get them participating. Um, you know, they, kids these days they love to play. And don't get me wrong, I love to play some video games as well. Like I'll sit down and, awesome. and play some video games. They're pretty fun. They're mm-hmm. great. <laughs> They're I pretty do fun. Too. They're pretty fun. I, so I grew up with Nintendo, right? Yeah, so I'm, of I'm, course. I'm, I understand it, uh, but I try to get them involved. So you know, make new friends. You're on a team. You got something to do. You're trying to teach them. Like if you work at something, you'll get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you're also learning. You know, you're never. There's always someone else out there working more. Right. So, well, and we talked to in an earlier episode of the podcast. We talked to Brock Heward, who's a, an old friend of mine, and he and Damon, obviously from Puyallup, Washington, the Heward family. That name is known, and he's recently moved to Colorado, where his kids are essentially anonymous. Um, you know, nobody's heard of them. Nobody knows you from anybody. But here, here, the smaller community, your last name. Those kids are going to be expected to be able to throw, you know, the boy better be able to throw a rope. <laughs> you know, I got to believe the expectations are, are sky high when the coaches yeah. find out your kids are a part of the squad. Yeah, no, he throws all right. He throws all right. Uh, I got to get him to, he, he, I think he's like my dad. Obviously, I don't know my dad when he was a kid, right? Uh, but the stories I hear, I think, I think John, who's named after my dad, uh, is like grandpa. I think those two are really similar. So is he uh, not going into the uh, dad and uncle business of being a quarterback? So he can play like nose tackle or something. Well, <laughs> I'll still go a different at, direction. I'll still play him at QB because even though you can't, I mean, you can still kind of yell at your own kid, right? You can't yell at any other kids, right? You know, and I, I just don't know if I'm not going to be able to yell at the quarterback. So I'm going to have to put him there because I can't yell at the other kids yet. No, it's funny you bring that up, but I, I had I had one experience a year ago. I I volunteered to be an assistant coach for my boy's baseball team. It was his first year playing baseball. It was like a coach pitch, um, thing, and I realized almost immediately what a terrible idea that was because I'm, <laughs> I mean, because with with my kid, you know, I'm like, hey, knock it off, don't do that, and then you realize like, oh, what do I say to someone else's child? I. I don't know you. I don't know how to do this. Like, this is going to be bad. Like, I just I'm so uncomfortable addressing someone else's child. I'm like, I don't even know how to communicate with somebody else's kid. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I really think you, you sports either you got to you either got to stop keeping score and then the parents can watch. Or if the parents aren't there, then you can right. keep score. As long as the parents aren't there, you can keep score. I found out <laughs> uh, that uh, you can't coach uh, eight and ten year old girls. The same way that your football coach in high school coached no. you, <laughs> and uh, it makes you feel bad because the, and 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 everybody looks at you if Why you do it you that trying? way. Exactly, and so I had to. It's hard not to do because that's the way you grew up doing it and hearing it and everything else. And then you you're like, come on! And then they cry, and all the parents look at you in a game, and then you figure out you probably shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Oklahoma drills. Or a bad look at a girls' <laughs> softball team. Yeah, no. Previous generations, I think they did a better. I think, I think our society was just different back then. You know, you could. Oh, 100. You could kind of call it how it is, and yeah, sometimes that hurts your feelings. But you know, you, you did need to work on it. Oh, my parents were grateful when I got chewed out. They're like, oh, <laughs> oh somebody, yeah, somebody else. My parents got a big <laughs> kick out of it. I mean, I mean we, we've talked about it in our, our day jobs for the Montana Radio Company, but I mean, it's hard for me to believe that just when I was in high school, and I'm not that old. But water, 
you, you were denied water. Right. Like that yeah. was a reward for practicing hard. Yeah. In the summertime during two a days, like you could you go to jail for that now. Oh yeah. Now about uh, your your son, uh, if does he feel like or any of your kids actually if, do do they feel like the bar is so high? I mean, they, I'm sure they hear all the time. You know, dad won four championships in in his college years. Do they do they feel like? expectations are there or do they do they get a little pass you know you lose a game you you don't have a productive season you don't have a successful winning season something like that uh we watch i mean you watch stuff on tv at home right so like alabama will be playing football at home Mm -hmm. and john will be like so did you did you play against alabama Nope, no jump. <laughs> way, way lower level than that. You know, and then you see like a Grizzlies game. He's like, "Would you play against the Grizzlies?" Like, nope, nope. Get a lot lower, lower than a lot lower. But you could have beat him, right, Dad? Nope, nope. Couldn't beat him, John. You know, so I think he's kind of like, "Well, well, what? Would you play? Was it intramurals? Like, what'd you play?" So I think I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. They'll, you know, uh, it's not like it's not like being an like those NFL dads, like a like a Peyton Manning or an Eli Manning. I think that part's really high for those kids. But sure, you know, I'm just I've been in Helena my whole life. Helena sports my whole life, so it's. I don't think it's too high. I don't know four titles in a row. I mean, that's still like that at, at any level to have accomplished what you accomplished. I've got to believe that echoes. I mean, is anybody is anybody at the Carroll College program? Are they in touch? Well, yeah. About, Coach uh, Purcell. Coach Purcell's great. He's doing a good. He's a high energy coach. But I mean, are they looking at your kids like, hey, coach them up? No, get them ready. <laughs> no. We're gonna need no. No, you're a long ways from that. We're gonna uh, need some Emmerts. <laughs> yeah, no, the the Cole Carroll setup because you got to get like the presidential scholarship, so you got to be like a smart kid, and then the program's got to fit. Like the recruiting there's hard. Right. Like you got to. It's a. It's not just anybody who can play can come. You know? Sure. So that's a that's a tough deal over there. I think they're doing a good job with it. Uh, his his energy, Coach Purcell's energy at practice is unbelievable. If you get a chance to go watch it, uh, I don't know how he does it. He's got to be exhausted. Um, and you're going all day. Small college football is all day for the coaches. You don't have someone else doing this and someone else doing that. Right. Like, it's a group of a couple guys doing everything. Now, with uh, Van Deest uh, and now the new coach, uh, Purcell, uh, how is how is that uh, – how has Frontier Conference football changed from the time you were there to what you're seeing on the field now? I, it looks bigger and faster to me than when we played. Like, when I, when I look at it, I'm like, nah, I don't know if we can hang with these guys anymore. Like, they look bigger and faster. Maybe I'm just old, you know – old now 40 well i think both things can be true because every one of these athletes at every level of athletics is getting bigger and faster kids, it's unbelievable kids in middle school now are, are you know linebacker sized in the nfl yeah you know? no the guy the guy for the cats troy troy anderson mm-hmm. his times like when i saw his times and his size i'm yeah. like oh my like that's not reasonable that is that is an unreasonable athlete there so yeah no they're getting bigger faster uh, i think the frontier is a way higher level than it was early 2000s. Well, and I, I bore Scott all the time because I, I study football. Like The business of football is almost more interesting to me than the game. And when you see these guys that are getting recruited to any college, like any, any college, and they list a height, weight, and this kid's a sophomore in high school. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's 6'5", 265. That kid's 15. What are we doing? <laughs> what did he eat? Yeah. Like, how did we, how did we get there? Because they are absolutely these guys – Size, speed, strength, all of it, uh, nutrition, and and just the you know never-ending genetic march of evolution. As we get bigger, as a, we're all bigger, you know. I mean, you look at guys in the 1950s, and they were five eight. You know, everybody was five eight, and uh, and yeah. So I got to believe that watching these athletes at any level, NAIA or otherwise, is they're bigger and stronger, faster. That's what it looks like to me. 
Well, you you were uh, in the process when you were in the process of winning these four championships in four years. What was it like? What was the atmosphere here in Helena like? Now, I was in uh, for the tail end of that. Uh, I was in Missoula. Uh, Joe Glenn was head coach, uh, University of Montana, and at the end of every game, home game, Joe, whose son Casey played on the, some of those teams, uh, Joe would walk in, and first thing you want to know is how's Carol doing. And everybody was following Carroll football at that time. So what was it like in Helena at that time with the, those teams being so good? Yeah, Helena's atmosphere got, I mean, it, it built up over a period of years. You know, previous to that Nelson Stadium, they played at Vigilante. Um, so I'd go watch those games at Vigilante. You know, you're playing at a high school stadium, wasn't a lot of people. But, you know, I'm in Helena, so I'm going to that mm-hmm. <laughs> going right. to that game. Right. So I enjoyed it. But you could, like, stand on the sidelines and you could, you know, we'd be playing football in the end zone of the games at, at the Carroll games at Vigilante. Mm-hmm. So it built up over over a period of time, and it got to the point where there were some pretty decent crowds there. Uh, you still had, you know, if you played opposite the Cats and the Grizzlies, you'd get more. You know, so if you could schedule that, so if that worked out, that was good. And if they were bounced out of the playoffs early, then you'd get more. Right. So here you are, you know, you're a Montana guy rooting for those Montana teams, but you're kind of <laughs> like, wow, if they don't, they don't make it in the playoffs, you know, well, more people will come, it'll be more fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so indirectly, you're kind of like, that'd be all right if they didn't win that one. Well, and and you know these all of these small Montana communities when they have when they have a flashpoint or or something to rally around, I mean there isn't a community in the state that doesn't bring it. Small town Montana is awesome about that. Like the when you go to the lower class basketball tournaments, the energy in those gyms is awesome. So I would totally agree with that. Uh, I think small town Montana is is where it's at as far as you know community rallying behind teams. It's pretty cool. And I think a lot of that um, from that time. Uh, resonated so much with the players in the community. A lot of those guys who were not from Helena originally stuck around and, and you know, made their lives here or, you know, for a time made their lives here. But it seemed like that that bond, when you, when you create uh, success like that, that bond kind of keeps you located in that, uh, you know, to stick around the, even a small town like Helena. Yeah, no, that's – I would agree with that. Um, and there was teams – you know, there was teams we'd play, especially in the playoffs. I mean, the Frontier was was a lot easier back then. You know, a lot smaller conference. Um, it was just an easier conference to get out of. And then I don't know how the DAC schools are right now, but the DAC was like a first-round buy in the playoffs in the early 2000s. Like, they were a level below. So if you made the playoffs, you were in the second round because you kind of got a buy because they scheduled by location. So you'd usually play at DAC school first. So that was great. Um but yeah, the conference now is a little tougher, and those. But but the bond that you made with those guys, um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And you found yourself in some situations where you were playing against teams that were, I mean, they were they were bigger and stronger, but they were definitely faster. So you're looking around like, well, okay, what are we going to do here? Like they're bigger, stronger, and faster at a lot of spots. What are we going to do? What's our plan here? Got to outsmart them. Yeah, right. That that's what you had to do. <laughs> Now what? But what about you staying in this community? Because like I've lived all over the country, um, and you know some some of it good, and some of it as a result of stuff that wasn't so good. Um, but to stay to stay local, to stay here after your career again, this is a small town, man. Your name carries some weight. Um, any temptation to ever go anywhere else? Did you ever find anywhere else that you thought you could call home? Well, if I could have, I mean, if if I could have walked on at the Cats or the Grizzlies, I definitely would have tried it. Um, but they were like, nope. Nope, not walking on. You know, they got to kind of limit their numbers as well. Uh, so I think I like Helen. I've lived here my whole life. I think I really like it, but I've never <laughs> right. lived anywhere else, so I have no idea. Maybe right. somewhere else is really cool, too. I don't know. 
Now, after uh, after the the college experience, you did have a chance. You went to Canada. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, what was it like to get out of Helena? Because we we uh, you know we did a podcast episode with Casey Fitzsimmons, and to go from Carroll to an NFL team, walking onto the NFL field with all these other guys. Uh, one of the things that actually surprised me about him was you know, and you have to have that mentality. His first thing, he's like, I can play with these guys, and I thought that was pretty impressive of him. What was it? What was it like to go to a, a Canadian football camp? Well, you, I mean, you saw Casey when he walked in, right? Yeah, <laughs> we did notice that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we look he, a little different. He right. took up the whole doorway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he, he's one of those guys that looks like he could put a helmet on and knock you out now. Yeah, still today. So we, we, I remember in college we'd have some plays, and he was always open. You could always throw it to him. There was times in games where he'd be like, hey, throw me the ball. And so you just throw him the ball. And he was always open and he'd always catch it. <laughs> and, and I sat there and I watched, well, why don't other teams run this? You know, and then, and but Carroll had a series of good tight ends for, mm-hmm. for a while there. So you could kind of continue to run that stuff. But then you realize they're not running it. It's not the play that was a good play. It was just that he was bigger and stronger and faster. He was better. He was better than everybody else. Right. So he was at that level. I went to Canada. I was there for a month. Um, the physically the one I was the closest to was Dave Dickinson. I was to say you ran into another Montana guy. There. Yeah, so physically I looked like I could be at the same table with him. Uh, super talented quarterback though. Mm. The other quarterbacks that were up there, I physically looked like I was in the wrong room. Like how the, how the <laughs> equipment manager get in here? <laughs> you know, Jarius Jackson was up there. Uh, Buck, I can't remember his last name. He played it, I think, in Arizona school. Um, yeah, they were arm strength was a little different. I'll bet. Yeah. And Dave, Dave was quite a player, you know, and to, to, to be in the state at the same time and then have him go up there, that had to be pretty cool. He's he was, still he's head awesome. coach, isn't he up there? I'm not 100%. I had his phone number for a while, mm-hmm. and I would text him every now and again, and then I either through a phone switch or something lost it. I'd love to get his phone number back, but he was the nicest guy ever. I mean, super competitive, never would lose at anything. He'd always win at everything, but the nicest guy ever. So mm-hmm. when you go as a quarterback to a camp, you're kind of competing for his job, right? Like that's his livelihood at that point in time. So nice. Like taking took me golfing, always talking to me, helping me out all the time, like the nicest guy ever. Yeah, Very I don't cool. know how you do that in a hyper competitive situation. Because yeah. one of the other things that, that Casey brought up, and we've heard it echoed uh, a number of times. You mentioned, you know, Troy Anderson being drafted this year, but all of the Montana guys, when when they leave a football program, Carol, Grizz, Cats, wherever, um, when they get to whatever that next level is, they're gonna work. Like they're gonna whatever whatever the position they're, they're gonna get out there and they're gonna have they're gonna be all about ball and I know that that was echoed by Casey right away. It was like I was just I had to go after it with that work ethic, which is kind of ingrained in everything around here. Yeah, Casey for sure. Uh, he's a, he didn't play a lot of high school football, you know. So, but then at, when you're watching him at Carroll, you're like, well, this kid must have done this forever. But hmm. just physically, he just moved really well. And his hands were, he had really good hands and he was smart and he ran good routes and he worked all the time. Um, but that next step, I mean, you go from playing, you know, in Northern, so you're, you know, you're playing at the Blue Pony Stadium mm-hmm. to playing for the Lions. Still, I think, right? That's a pretty big step up. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, it, like, I'm, uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that he had, to, I mean, really focus and just work at it, just grind. Well, they made him a wedge uh, breaker. I mean, he, was, right. he put him on special teams to go, just go murder someone with your head. 
Yeah, and he, and he talked about the price he paid for that yeah, and all did. of those things, which was pretty cool to talk to him about. Now, in one of the thoughts that he told us in, in regards to that was his thoughts about football now with youth. And you, you were talking about your son playing. Uh, how do you feel about sending him out there with all of the CTE stuff and, and the dangers of kids now? With, with tackle football, do you, do you feel like he's, it's okay for him to play? Well, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, uh, but I watch, you know, you watch fifth and sixth graders tackle each other. It's kind of like two pillows coming together and falling over. And, you know, I've, I, I've talked to Casey about it. He's like, yeah, I don't I don't think youth football is a good idea. And I'm like, well, you didn't even play it. You showed up in college and dominated. <laughs> like the rest of these kids, like we played it. Uh, and it's just, it just doesn't seem like it's at that level. I mean, he just showed up and he was the best one there. I'm like, right. the rest of us had to play small fryer. We couldn't be on the high school team. Casey, like, we, like well, the rest of us got to play. We don't fill up a doorway. Step in seven years behind and <laughs> right. just pick it up and have that cinder uh, block that's not hands easy. And come in just <laughs> hi yeah i still i found it uh i found it interesting that he said that uh, you know he wouldn't let his, he didn't want his kids playing until older and uh, what kind of a concern that was but uh with a guy with his mentality it's it's surprising now to hear how he switched through that but that's of course through his own his own experiences and and uh, the stuff he's gone through it. and it made it real for me you know and i told him i like until you hear the personal story of somebody you know it's it's really it changes your mind about the whole thing because we all want it to go back like you know old school football and banging heads yeah no it's different i mean if you're in it and a lot of, a lot of the guys who make it in the nfl there's no plan b like mm-hmm. you got to make it so when you put a person in that situation where it's like either you have this huge income or you have no, nothing right uh you're they're forcing their hand quite a ways and i think that i mean that level of commitment to what you have to sacrifice to make it is just a it's a lot and I think the NFL is trying to do what they can. Obviously, they're running a business trying to make money, so people still like big hits. Um, so it's just it's just kind of a double edged sword at that level. The small fry level, I think if you just if you just teach them right, and if they call crowning, crowning is supposed to be a penalty. It was a penalty when I was playing, right? And a kid would come in with his head de- totally down and hit you at the top of his helmet, and they wouldn't call it. I'm like, just call that one penalty that's been <laughs> right. a penalty forever, and you'll fix a lot of this. Yeah, they 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 try to take care of that with the targeting and stuff, but it's still guys guys with that mentality are still going to do it. That's part of the problem I think they run into. And you had a coach who had that that mentality basically. I mean, Mike Van Deest. I know Mike from from uh, just you know interviewing and doing a coach's show with him and all the side stuff. I've seen him at practices, and I'll never forget one of the moms that said uh, when Mike Van Deest came to visit their family and do the recruiting process, he, they went to dinner with him. And they said when their son came to play for Carroll, he called after the first practice. And he said, remember that nice man who was at dinner? I don't know where he went. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope Coach doesn't take this the wrong way, but I always felt like he had uh, layers of personalities. And when you got to one end of the spectrum, that personality did not remember what the other personality had said. You got to stay within two layers for him to remember. <laughs> uh, but the part about him, and I think we're kind of losing this with how with how we approach a lot of stuff. You knew where you stood. I mean, he didn't sugarcoat it. So right. if you if you were performing below where he wanted you to perform, he let you know. Um, so at least you knew. You know. So if you can't if you can't say that stuff anymore, and you can't communicate, and maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there's not a better way to do it. But I really like coaching with him. I really like playing for him. Um, he said it how it was. So you know, you're not you're not cutting it. You gotta you gotta pick it up. Well, and and, and I wonder about that with a whole because uh, my son's gonna play football this year. He played flag last year, and and he's just picking it up. And, and it's still, I try to be as like it's fun. This is supposed to be fun. You know, it shouldn't you shouldn't be thinking it's a career move at age ten. You know, you should be out playing uh, sports that are fun. 
But I know for me, like in high school, the thing about football that was magic for me was that I could hit somebody as hard as I could, and that was okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because nowhere else I'm like, really? I don't have to – like, no, you take the wind out of that guy. That's the the goal. And, you know, like with the experiences I've had with my son's team, they're very contact-averse. You see kids in soccer, and they're leaning back with their upper body and trying to kick at the ball because they don't want to bump into one another. And I'm very curious about how that ends up looking when the game is contact-based. You know, it's it's not there is no incidental contact. Football is very intentional. And I'm curious about that because, it, you know, the kids that I see, and again, this is all anecdotal to my experience, there's not a lot of that. I want to hit somebody. Yeah, that I'm I don't see a ton of it. You know? Yeah. No, and I, I did. Yeah. No. And youth sports is so broken right now. You we've cut out the lower half of the socioeconomic group. I mean, even to play basketball, you got to travel around and play. It's expensive to play soccer. It's really expensive. Mexico can play soccer and soccer is mm-hmm. expensive in Montana. I can't figure that one out. Right. And as a result, we end up losing <laughs> to uh, soccer teams that have uh, a country population of about 70. Yeah. And, and they put, they put 11 on a, on a, on a soccer pitch and then beat us. Right. And, and yeah. it's just, it shouldn't be that way in this country. Right. But, and football well, and Babe Ruth and Helen has done a phenomenal job so anybody can it's it's kind of expensive but but for you can do it um so you're down to two sports left for kids to play if you're not wanting to spend you know 500 a weekend traveling around right for i, I think it's just for the experience i mean none of these <laughs> yeah none of us are going to the nfl well, none of us are going to have a career out of this well and that's the thing you know you're probably not going pro no you're not you're not so all of those weekends and all of that travel and all those hotel rooms and all of the things you know, that it's a line I, I talk about with my wife all the time. I'm like, at some point, this is just a really onerous obligation of of their time and energy, but everybody else's too. Right. So football is the last one. You put, All your games are in Helena. Your practices are close to schools. Well, they should be if we can, mm-hmm. get, that, if we can get that corrected in our small fire program here in town. Your practices are close. Your games are in Helena. So everybody, participation should be through the roof in that sport. Right. And it's a fun sport. It's a really, really fun sport. Big kids can play. Little fast kids can play. I mean, even like slow, medium-sized kids can play. There's spots for everybody yeah. in football. So, yeah, with 11 So aside. your participation should be really, really high in that one. So it's kind of my favorite from that standpoint that – you know, you don't have to pay a thousand bucks, five hundred bucks a weekend to play. Yeah, but you do see the uh, the the, the participa- participation drop off, especially in baseball, softball, where every year there's about half the kids there is before once they get to about ten, and then they don't follow through year after year. And I don't know what the uh, you know, but why that is because I do think they've done a nice job, and it, and it's a good atmosphere. You don't see a lot of the. Um, parent problems here like you do nobody's punching the umpires in the eye like happened nationally but it does get you know i mean i can't say it's completely uh we're immune from that but it's it it is a little friendlier i think here than it is in most places and and i think that maybe some parents are turned off by that again kids with video games and uh i I tell my daughter about the you know who's gonna make a pro thing you know she she's play softball and i said if you go to the state softball tournament i said even if there were if there were d1 colleges there i said at that state softball tournament they might be interested in one player in montana the best player at the tournament is going to be the (laughs) only one they want to talk to and that's for all the schools right so it's tough right well and those coaches have they have lives and there's a time constraint so they're just not going to come to montana you know you're going to go to a a tournament where there's just more teams more kids um so you're not going to see them true 
Uh, back to so go, talking about the Carroll teams again. Um, one thing that happened uh, after your career was done, uh, you were you were entered into the College Football Hall of Fame. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that was cool. That's got to be quite an honor to, to to know that you're in there. And uh, what was the, what was that uh, that notification like? One, I think you, I think Bruce maybe just called up Bruce Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was a letter. Uh, not not as you know big experience as you think. You got a letter. I think we had a little bit. You know, you went to a little banquet. You had got to give a little, yeah. give a little speech. Uh, but no, it was. It was cool. Who else was giving speeches there? Do you remember? Yeah, Coach Donnelly. Uh, well, I don't know. I can't remember all of them. But Coach Donnelly, he coached those St. Francis teams. He was at mm-hmm. Georgetown, um, so he was there. Uh, and then it was the same time as the coaches' conference, so a lot of the a lot of the coaches were there. But the NAIA football Hall of Fame is right. different than the. It's different than the major college. Football <laughs> yeah, Hall of Fame. yeah. But still, yeah, still to win four championships. You gotta. <laughs> I think I think that's a shoe in if you're the quarterback on four championship teams in a row. Is and I don't know if that's has it been done before. Uh, well, weren't there like some D three schools like that? I want to say Clearwater. I could be lying, but you guys got some computers. Well, they used to show those on ESPN, so they would start at one level, and as soon as that game got over, they'd go to the next one, and the next one, the next one. I remember watching those that, uh, and it was always a lot of the same teams during that time period when you were watching the Carroll game and then they'd have like a D3 game. Yeah. So I, I do think there were, there were some dynasties there, but I don't know whether the quarterbacks were the same through the whole four years. Yeah, I don't either. And don't following either. their brother, by the way. Yeah, no, he and he's coaching softball down in, in Galton and he is grinding. They just started that, you know, new school, so started the program. So mm-hmm. he's working hard at it. Um, I actually was talking to him on the way over here. So he's got a younger one who's eight. They were a little softball this weekend. And I texted him after the deal and I was like, well, you – Explain to me why we don't sign up for golf, where for the most part you're not even allowed to follow your kid around. <laughs> so you sit by the pool all day while your kid and like what what are we doing out here? It's dusty, it's hot. Like why didn't we pick the other sports? <laughs> or or it's uh, too cold the way it's been the spring sports this year, and then we'd all watch inside. We'd just be inside if it was golf. But it's been a it's been a crazy year this year. But. Uh, I mean that's that's one of the things about your your sports family. Your brother following your brother at uh, at a college also had to be kind of a kind of a weird experience and yeah, it was kind cool. of a, a mixed year, blessing. The first year was really neat. So I was red shirt that first year. Uh, they let me kind of be on the sideline and chart plays. I wasn't mm-hmm. like actually helping, but I got to stand there and act like I was writing stuff down on the clipboard. But it was neat. So I got to follow him around. Um, got kind of exposed to your the atmosphere to anticipate. The Did you kid level. him not about not winning four championships while he was there? Well, <laughs> no, no. You're you're those those championships. They come from like a, a series of years in preparation before you get there. Sure. You, and I can't. I mean, the turnover in, in Division One college football, like the coach turnover, blows my mind because it takes multiple years to build before you get to your at that. So his his that group of players was kind of the foundation that got them to the point where they could recruit a little better and they, you know, they got facilities were the best in the NAIA for a period of time there. Um, so that was a big piece of, you know, before you could get to where you can win one of these, you got to put this work in with these series of teams. So those, you know, four years of college, your job is building for the next series, <laughs> next series of players. Uh, but so they did a really good job with that. I'm still dropping rings if it was my sibling. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Look at those all over the table. Let me gather all of those up. No, no, he gets it. He gets it. If you, if a QB's clean in the pocket and receiver's open, it's an easy game. And if QB's getting hit and receiver's not open, that's a way harder game. It looks a lot harder at that point. So, you know, you'll get to the end of a game and you'll hear the announcers are like, oh, the quarterback struggled. I'm like, well, he was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was getting hit while his receiver was covered and he was trying to throw it. The other guy was standing in the middle of the pocket. He's wearing a linebacker for the last 
three hours. Right. So um, the QBs get way more credit uh, when they're successful, and they take they take too much blame when they're not successful. Can you watch QB play at like at any level without a, just for fun, or are you watching it and with a critical eye? I kind the way they they show college and NFL games where you you can only see the pocket when it's a pass. It drives me crazy. Like I want to see what the defense is doing. I wish they had some different camera angles you, you can choose the, from. All twenty twos. Yeah, I want to see what the team is doing on defense. Uh, and so I, I've only been to two NFL games. I, I celebrated a little too much at a fundraiser and bought, <laughs> bought a trip to Seattle. So I took my two girls to that. That was awesome. Cooper Cup had a huge game. Uh, that was super fun. And then I took my dad and my son to a Raiders game this year. I needed a rope. You know, he's dad's seventy, John's. 10. Mm-hmm. If I could have just tied the two together, it would have worked because you know, the little one would have sped up, sped up the older one. And you're walking everywhere in Vegas, so right. So I needed a rope to tie those two together. Uh, but that so that was really cool. And you can see the game when you're in there in person, you can watch what you want to watch. You don't just have to watch like they'll throw a ball and the camera will zoom in on the wide receiver. And I'm like, well, what was everybody else doing? Yeah, so, the, the NFL timing I, game is unbelievable. And, yes. and, and, you know, as you said, TV doesn't quite sometimes catch it. They will at times, but I don't think, in, unless you've seen it in person, that's one of the takeaways. NFL games are hard to watch in person. They're, a little, they're much different than on TV. But uh, I, I went to a Denver Bronco game when Elway was playing and Shannon Sharp, and he threw this, uh, Shannon Sharp would do this out pattern, and he would time it to where that football was the same spot every time they ran it. And it was a preseason game, so they ran it quite a bit. They were working on that, and they kept doing it and just the repetition of it and we were watching from the end zone so to watch that timing and stuff was was absolutely amazing the ball placement because i think it's a lot of people will watch uh, an nfl game and hear the analysts say well he meant to put the ball here but instead it was here and it's you know it's 30 yards down the field and people think that's wow oh, that's not there's no way they're that accurate <laughs> yeah. and then you watch and and they can be that accurate yeah well at baseball you, you can get closer to live reps and work like baseball so clean at the major league level when you watch it yeah some people call it boring i'm like how is that boring it's fascinating that they can play this clean all the time mm-hmm. but you can practice closer to live reps in baseball you can't football's a little harder i mean you can't put your QB in a spot where he might get hit. No, you get the red jersey in practice. There's a limit to the number of real live reps you get. Um, and I, I think it's a piece of why some of those QBs who are around for so long are still so good. Now they've got X number of live reps. And right. it, it blows my mind how quick they'll pass on a guy and then he's out. And I'm like, he had like three games. How is he out? He's just starting. <laughs> like that other guy's played. So, yeah, uh, live reps in, in football, you just don't get a lot of them. Um it's amazing when you watch the level they can play at. Yeah, well, and, and I go back to uh, watching his stupid Packers, and and I was in the Silverdome watching Brett Favre warm up, and he's talking like you and I to his quarterbacks coach, and a guy hands him a football, and he just kind of half looks down, and the the receivers are behind him on the hash mark, running sprints to the goal line, and they're not looking at him. They hit the five, they turn, open up their hands, and the ball lands in there, like like an Easter basket, like right there, and he's. He's not even paying attention. He's talking to this guy like, yeah, anyway. And he throws one down there. And the guy's hands him the ball. Okay, go. And he's still just chatting and kind of just half. And every one of them yeah. was on the on the screws. I, I mean, think was, that's part of his person. Don't you think he's almost like, like because they do the mic'd up things. You've heard some mic'd up oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He's totally lying. He's acting like he doesn't know what the defense is doing. I'm like, <laughs> You're to- you are 100% lying. <laughs> right, yeah. That was just for show. And so yeah. when he's acting like he's not looking, I mean, he knows where that guy's at. And yeah, he's so absolutely. good. So that's part of his, I think that's part of his marketing. So as you watch these guys on, uh, on the NFL, um, 
is the same names that everybody, I mean, you're looking at them and going, well, yeah, everybody who says they're great, they're great. Because I see arguments about, like, Aaron Rodgers. Packer fans do not appreciate Aaron Rodgers enough. Like, there are a bunch of guys who say, you know, he doesn't he doesn't try in the playoffs. That's why they lose. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, but, but they will underappreciate a quarterback's play because they're so used to it being good that they don't know what the drop-off is. It's the most spoiled fan base there is. And then you watch, you watch Aaron Rodgers compared to other, and you listen to the players talk about him. And so I was just why like like being a quarterback and watching him. You, there's got to be a big difference between Aaron Rodgers and and level B and C. Well, I think there's two different NFLs. There's like the NFL for the guys who are in it, and then there's like the NFL for us, right? So we're we're just watching the game. You get to the end of the game, you got to have something to say when you talk to your buddies about it. So you're just kind of kind of coming up with something to say. The guys who are in it and they're playing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is trying. He's trying to win. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to win the game. Uh. And uh, but so is everybody else on the other team. They're trying to win right. the game. Um, but you know, after a game's over, you got to come up with something to say. It's kind of one of the few names you can remember, right? right? Out of the 22 starters for the Packers last year, how many can you name? Well, I can name oh, them all, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and he will <laughs> at length. But if you lose the NFC Championship game multiple times in a row, you're going to get that that same thing from all the know-it-alls. So, does your uh, does your phone still? Are you, are you still? Asked to come coach and, and help out with quarterbacks at Carroll? Uh, no. Is that a, you're not? No, and I never coached quarterbacks when I coached. I coached the wideouts. The, the time necessary. So the part of small college football that people don't understand is you do not have a budget to like hire the coaches you would need to run an actual program. So you're mm-hmm. kind of asking a guy not just to sacrifice like his income. It's like him, his family, his kids. So you got to find guys that just love the game enough that – or I don't even know how you talk them into it, but they got to put so much time into it that they're sacrificing a lot just to be able to coach a position at that level. So, you know, I had kids. I, I didn't have the time to be a quarterback's coach, so I did the receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you'd come in. I'd come in right after right after work. I'd get the list from Coach Hallett, and then you'd, you'd stay after, you know, you'd stay till I finally drew a line at 10. I was like, Coach Van Dees doesn't sleep, so I'm leaving at 10. <laughs> right. But I don't know when he, maybe he never has. I don't know when he would go to bed. So he would still be watching film when I would walk out as a coach for the wide receivers and they're still breaking stuff down, you know, and it's not like we were playing in front of 80,000 people, but this is their deal. You know, football is their deal. This is their team. This is their tribe. And they just put so much time and effort into that. But those other coaches who, who don't really even have a salary, but it's full time. They're there before the sun comes up. They leave way after the sun has gone down and the sacrifices they had to make for small college football to happen is pretty remarkable. Well, and that's at every level. Every coach I've I've ever known at at any level, they you have to be a different kind of committed, crazy to that. You have to be crazy. It's completely unreasonable. You have to give up the rest of your life. Well, yeah, you, you really do. You kiss your family goodbye in training camp, and then you see them again maybe for a minute for dinner when the season's over. Yeah, no, you see someone who's good in wrestling, they're crazy. You see somebody who's good <laughs> good in football, those coaches are crazy. There's no doubt about it. Right. They got to be completely have to have completely lost their concept of the bigger picture, and they're so focused on that on that one thing uh, to be successful. And Coach Van Dies was that way. He was that way the whole time I was there. He was so focused on that one thing, which is awesome. As a player, right, you're going to college. Right. You want a coach who's all in. He was so all in. And same with all the other coaches there. So Coach Hallett, uh, you know, he's got a family. Coach Hogan, he's got a family. Those guys were so committed to those to that opportunity when you're playing there. And, you know, that's why they were successful. When you when you did go back and do some coaching, what was the, what were the athletes like compared to the athletes that uh, you were – 
playing with? Well, how, you, how have every, the people in college changed? College has changed. So, but every year, you know, you had a different set of players, different set of leaders. So, like the your team would change every year. You know, the it, it just would, um, just from players coming in. But the the generations of players have definitely changed. Like the the same thing you would have said to a kid in 2008 is not what you're going to say to a kid in 2018. Like mm-hmm. it does not because you're trying as a coach, you're just trying to get the highest level of performance out of them. So just because that worked in 2008 and that kid responded to it because he probably had a coach like your high school coach doesn't right. mean that the kid in 2018 <laughs> right. is going to respond the same way. And those generations have changed. It is way different now. The, the stuff that motivates kids is different now than it was in the early 2000s. What is it, though? Because that's the part, I, going back to my experience coaching a year ago, I, I had no idea how to talk to them. Yeah, no, I, I, think you're, I think you're one that you're trying to teach them a sense of ownership, like it's their team. So, But how you teach that sense of ownership has changed. Before, you could just yell at them. It was super easy. Right. Hey, this is your team. Take charge of it. You know, then they take charge of it. Well, that kind of changed. So you can't just, so it's a harder now. So now you got to, it just takes a little more time. It's a different approach. Um, but it's the same concept of that kid has to have a sense of ownership in what he's doing i think at the younger level there's a lot of kids who are doing it because this is their outdoor activity this is what you know as opposed to kids who who get into it for the competition of it you know when i was when i was a kid i couldn't wait to be old enough to play football i was just that's all i wanted to do that's that's the only thing i wanted to do i didn't want to wrestle i didn't want to play i didn't want to do track all i wanted to do was play football and i couldn't wait and so when the competition part of it came i was ahead of some of these other kids and 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 i think the percentage of kids like that who really really love it is is down with the participation and, and uh I, I don't know if that how that translates to the college level because once you get to that i think they're all pretty much in it but uh but that that basic just i couldn't wait to hit somebody and i was 10 <laughs> you know 10 12 years old and i just couldn't wait to get out there and smack somebody like i'd seen on tv i think it still exists in montana i mean i can't speak for the i've lived inside a 10 block radius my whole life so I certainly can't speak for anybody outside of that 10 blocks, but I think kids still want to, I think they still want to, I think they want the opportunity to, uh, it's just a little different getting them signed up and getting them to participate once you get them there. So like small fry football signups are open right now in Helena. Mm -hmm. There are zero kids signed up from Bryant school. That's not because zero kids at Bryant want to play football. It's just the economic situation they're Mm -hmm. in. It's just the, the, how the information got to them, the way you sign up, what you have to have to sign up. It's just different, uh, but I, I promise those kids are still the same. They still really want to try hitting somebody as hard as they can go. Uh, that's still there. It's just a matter of giving them the opportunity. It sounds like you know, you, you've you picked up on some frustration with the, the state of youth sports. How active do you stay in that outside of your own kids? Well, you can only – so right now I got John's league team, um, fun little group, and boys are so much different than girls at 10. Um, the boys are way more athletic and way dumber. <laughs> the, the girls by the way that's that's true at 20 that's true at 40 that's, that's like, the dumber the girls, part kind of stays and there's there's there you know there's some girls who are coming along a little quicker and by the time you get to high school they're 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 competitive right they're getting after it right. so they're there and they're going um and i don't know if it's the environment you put them around when they're younger or whatever it is but 10 year olds in softball are different than 10 year olds in baseball and um so coach john's team i got hannah's little league team i'm trying to get hannah's little travel team going and then i try to get maddie's team started and the best thing ever is high school like once you get to high school because you just pass them off and the coaches <laughs> right. do it and like you can't make it the game it doesn't matter and but now montana starting to change we're starting to break like those other states so like the good basketball players outside of montana aau is their thing 
Right. Like some don't even play high school. And I'm like, don't change Montana. Yeah. Don't start copying that. Like that is, it drives me nuts, but you can kind of see it starting. There's like a group out of Bozeman that wants to start doing more AAU stuff. And I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. And what you're seeing in Missoula is each school has its sport where all this, all the athletes from that sport go to that school because they have the choice of high schools over there. And they, you know, if you're, if you're a good basketball player, you're going to be on one of the schools. If you're a good football player, it's a different school. And so that is a, it, that's one of the changes that, that, that kind of has happened there with, yeah. with these athletes being specialists. Yeah, no, the ability to kind of pick your school. And I think they go as friends almost. So you'll see like this school is really good in basketball this year. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, as a group of friends who plays a lot of hoops, they'll go to a different school. And all of a sudden that school is going to be good. Like, you know, Sentinel was not good at football when I was in high school. And they are really good now. Yeah. Like they're organized. They're really good. And so I think kids who enjoy that sport are saying, well, I'm going to go to Sentinel. So, I mean, I don't blame the kid. Um, right. And I, I don't even know if it's bad for sports as long as you're still playing high school sports. But AAU stuff, I'm like, do not let it come here. We're not sending kids to the NFL. We're not sending kids to the NBA. The wrestlers like, wrestle year round. Like if those kids, if those kids are going to make it to that level, they can make it through the same process we've had. I'm like, don't change it. Don't yeah. change it. You start talking about time and money, commitments, and and travel, and all of the things that go along with that. Plus that AAU thing is, man, it gets toxic in a hurry. There have been some cities where it got bad, bad. You know, Chicago has had some some issues with. Yeah, I have yet to see league. a video of a par- golf parent getting so mad they're getting thrown out. Like <laughs> I think we picked the wrong sports, guys. Like, Put them in golf. You sit by the pool. They go play a little. It's not bad advice. It's I, not bad advice. I wish I played more golf when I was younger. I would have made it on the high school team easily. <laughs> There's a good little tip for you youngsters out there. Play more golf. That's Tyler Everett. Tyler, thank you again for the time. Appreciate it, guys. And uh, make sure you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get those. And uh, we'll be back next week.